In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. This is the Retirement Pathfinder. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. I'm Mark Kaywood, and I'm here alongside Phil Gusky and Barbara Lane. They are retirement income planning specialists serving you here at Pathfinder Wealth Management in Rockford. Barbara is the co-author of two books, Roadmap for a Stress-Free Retirement and Remarkable Retirement. Those are two different books. And then Phil is the founder of Pathfinder Wealth Management. He's also the co-author of multiple financial planning books. You can check them out online at pathfinderwealth.com. That's pathfinderwealth.com. Or you can call the office at 815-399-9806. That's 815-399-9806. Barbara, Phil, hello, and welcome back into the podcast. Yeah, good morning. How are you doing? Hey, Mark. How I, are you doing? I am doing great. We are still right here in the midst of the Christmas season. I love the holidays. It's a wonderful time of year. And I'm actually already planning. My uh, wife works on campus at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And so we're actually preparing to go after Christmas with about a thousand college students to this conference in Greensboro, North Carolina to bring in the New Year's. And so I'm already just kind of relishing the the rest that's about to come here in the next few days because I know (laughs) that it's going to be crazy here in about a week. (laughs) That sounds fun. It is. It is. We love it every year. We ring in the new year. It's a wonderful time with students. She loves working with college students. So we're looking forward to it. But I do appreciate that time of rest with family right around Christmas. And I'm sure you guys are ready for that as well. Sure. Yep. (laughs) But before we can get to that, we do have to discuss finances, right? On today's podcast, we kind of want to keep it simple here. We know there's a lot of jargon in the industry. We know there's a lot of complex terms in the industry. And we know it's really easy to get confused when you sit down across the table from your advisor. And so, Barbara and Phil, I'm hoping that you guys can just kind of explore some of these terms with us. And then I'm basically just going to go through the list. I'm going to name the term and you guys can kind of serve as our dictionary for the day here. Let's kick it off by talking about in-service distributions. All right, I'll cover that, Mark. In-service distributions or in-service withdrawals. A lot of people have heard of them. Some have not. And what it pertains to are employees that work for a company that have a, a qualified program, a retirement program like a 401k or a 403b or something like that. And that particular opportunity to withdraw money early prior to retirement from their retirement plan, and they can do that without penalty. Now, there's two different scenarios with regard to the in-service withdrawal. The first one is prior to age 59 and a half. And so if they have need of money because of what they call a hardship reason, and that might be some type of a disability, that might be for certain medical costs or even for education, they can, in fact, withdraw money from their 401k, the retirement plan, without that 10% tax penalty. Now, they will be taxed on the money, of course, but it's for hardship purposes only. Now, for people beyond age 59 and a half, there's another opportunity to withdraw money. And you say, why would they want to do that prior to retirement age? Well, one of the things we find out when we explore the 401k market is that the choices within their 401k plans are are somewhat limited. You know, we have identified 21 different asset classes or 
primary place is that the money should be invested from an academic standpoint. But many times the 401k plans only have four, five, six, seven different asset classes that are available. So they're not really getting the most amount of return that the market offers. So quite often when we sit down with people, we'll explore the, the possibility of taking an in-service withdrawal where they can take the money out of their 401k, a good portion, if not all of it, roll that to an IRA, completely tax-free. Now, when they do that, they open up the world to themselves for better opportunities of investment. And they can do that without a tax. And it's a really, really nice arrangement for most people. That's how an in-service withdrawal works. All right. Continuing on down our list here of kind of confusing terms you might have heard before and don't quite know what they mean. Tell us about a Roth conversion. Okay, I'll take that one. And confusing it is. Roth conversion, Roth contribution, what's the difference? I'm going to explain the difference first. So a contribution, whether it's an IRA contribution or a Roth contribution, is when you can contribute up to $5,500 per year. And if you're age 50 or over, you can contribute up to $6,500 per year, subject to income limits. Now that's a contribution. A conversion is a topic, kind of a hot topic lately. That's taking a tax-deferred account like a 401k or a 403b or an IRA account and converting that to a tax-free retirement account, a Roth IRA conversion. So the clincher is that you have to pay tax on the conversion. For example, if you withdraw $20,000 and you're in a 20% tax bracket, you could potentially be paying around $4,000 taxes on that conversion. And you convert a little bit each year. So we're big proponents on filling up tax brackets. And when you do that, you're also reducing your pre-tax account, which is going to reduce your required minimum distribution when you get to be the age of 70 and a half, which is a good thing. There are no required minimum distributions for Roth IRAs. So they provide many good benefits, but it's a tax-free account. So the question is, why would someone do that? Why would someone pay taxes now? Well, if you believe tax rates will be higher in the future, what you're doing is you're paying taxes lower now. So right now, we are in a very low taxing environment. And if you look at us historically, pre-Reagan days, the highest tax bracket was about 70%. Now the highest tax bracket is 39%. So some of the considerations for doing this are, do you need the money for retirement? Do you want to pass it on to your heirs? What's your current age? If you're going to use the money in retirement, how soon will you need it? A uh, couple things to know as a side note, with uh, any withdrawals from Roth IRAs, the withdrawals are not included in the provisional income for calculation on taxing of Social Security. So you could possibly withdraw money from your Roth IRA and not pay any taxes at all in your Social Security. And withdrawals from Roth IRAs, since they're tax-free, they don't affect your Medicare Part B premiums. So the question is this, if you're going to live 20 to 30 years in retirement, which we tell our clients to plan on unless they're not healthy, do you think taxes will increase? And if you think taxes will increase sometime, then what you're doing is you're getting ahead of the tax game by paying taxes now at a lower rate. You know, Barb, let me ask, uh, add something else to that as well. You know, the uh, latest Jobs Creation and Tax Reduction Act of 2017 has given many people a great opportunity to do Roth conversions and do it in a tax-free manner. I had a couple come in the other day and they're getting very close to retirement. They're in their mid-60s. They plan on taking money out of their um, 401k plan to use and to supplement that with their social security. And by looking at the double deduction that you're getting now through the tax reduction act, 
you're actually able to take $20,000 out of their IRA account, convert it to a Roth conversion account without any tax at all. Now, this doesn't work for everybody. It depends on your tax bracket, depends on what your various sources of income would be. But there's some great opportunities today that we never saw prior to the passage of this act. And so that was a tremendous opportunity for them. And so in essence, what they're doing is they're taking money out of their IRA account tax-free. They're putting it into an account called a Roth conversion account, completely tax-free, going to accumulate in that particular account tax-free. And then later on when they take it out, it can be withdrawn on a tax-free basis. So there's some really great opportunities there for the people that are in that particular situation under the new tax law. Yeah, true. When people are withdrawing money from a pre-tax account, potentially you may pay taxes on that at the end of the year. So potentially, as Phil said, you may not always pay taxes on that, which, which is excellent then. All right, Barbara and Phil, I've got several more terms for you here just to keep it rolling. Let's talk about exchange-traded funds. I know everybody's heard of those, and some of you probably own them, but you might not understand how they work. Hopefully, you guys can explain. Well, Mark, let me explain exchange-traded funds, or better known as ETFs. People have heard about them, but they don't really know how they work, what the advantages would be. So we want to just touch on them a little bit here. Of course, most people have invested in mutual funds. Mutual fund is a great device, a great financial instrument where you can put a limited amount of money in and make the same potential returns as somebody who has a large amount of money. People's dollars are basically marshaled together and there's some economies of scale going on there where they can invest in all the companies in the world and receive great returns. Well, the ETF is a little bit of a variation of that. And what an ETF is, is basically, again, a basket of stocks or bonds or commodities or real estate, a lot of different ways to set them up. But normally they're pegged to an index of some kind, like the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ. And they basically would be held just like a mutual fund would be. They can be held in IRA accounts, 401k accounts, that type of thing. But there's some unique advantages to ETFs that mutual funds don't have. Number one is they have lower operating costs than mutual funds, especially if you hold what's called actively managed mutual funds. You could pay as little as 0.05% on an ETF as an operating expense versus maybe 1% with the mutual fund. So that's a big advantage. But that's not the only thing that we're looking at here. Another advantage could be that ETFs are traded on a daily basis, hour by hour. So if the market is open, you can buy and sell ETFs just like you could stocks, whereas a mutual fund has to be traded at the end of the day. Now, again, that's not a big advantage, but it is one advantage to people that want to get out quickly. But here's what I think is some of the better reasons to buy ETFs or to get into ETFs are the tax advantages. One thing that we understand about mutual funds is that, you know, we as investors are long-term in the market. We're not day traders. Many of our clients are conservative. But I will guarantee you this. If you're in an actively managed mutual fund, your manager of that mutual fund is trading on a daily basis. That's called day trading, by the way. Okay? They're not long-term in the market. So let's say, for example, they bought XYZ stock 10 years ago, and it's in that particular fund, and they want to sell that particular stock out of the mutual fund. The manager wants to sell that stock. So he sells that stock and immediately realizes a capital gain in that particular position. Well, of course, if you are a shareholder of that mutual fund, that capital gain cost is passed along to you. And so you have the dubious distinction and honor of paying tax on a position that you didn't hold that entire time. We call that a phantom tax. And a lot of people are paying high taxes, capital gains taxes on positions 
where they didn't hold the entire mutual fund for that entire life of that particular holding. ETF is different. They have an arrangement called an in-kind redemption. So the way the ETF is structured, there'll be very little, if any, tax when positions are sold and, and they aren't really sold in the ETF. There is a certificate issued called an in-kind redemption. And so that reduces the amount of tax liability on that client in that redemption. So there's some real advantages to owning ETF from a tax standpoint. And a number of our clients do hold those particular ETFs. They're great. They are very inexpensive to own. They're very accessible and they can be liquidated in the same respect that a mutual fund could. All right, Barbara, kind of passing the mic back to you now. We've heard recently in the news a lot of chit-chat about the term fiduciary. Who or what is a fiduciary and why are they important? Yes, that's a good question. You know, the Department of Labor stepped in to the financial scene about three or four years ago with this fiduciary rule, and they wanted all financial advisors to be fiduciaries. But prior to that becoming so popular, if you will, Pathfinder has always been a fiduciary. So there's two standards in one, and I'll explain those. One is a suitability standard, and the other is a fiduciary standard. So a suitability standard says what is in the best interest of the company that the advisor works for. And a fiduciary standard says what is in the best interest of the client. Now, you'd think that they'd be equal because you'd think you're always going to act in the best interest of the client. But one is independent and the other is not. So, for example, our money management platform that we have with our clients right now, we believe is in the best interest of our clients. So if we found something better out there, then we can make the switch. So in other words, we're not dictated to. We're independent. Fiduciaries are independent financial advisors. Now everyone is calling themselves a fiduciary. So the questions to ask are this. If you're seeking out someone who is a fiduciary, which that's who we would recommend you work with, are three things. One, are they an independent advisor? In other words, do you want someone working for you or do you want someone working for their company? And secondly, are they fee-based or commission-based? Commission-based are product sales. So if someone's going to sell you a product, receive a high commission up front, there's a good chance you'll never hear from them again because they're not making any money. There's nothing in the game for them. But thirdly is holistic, and that's a very important part of the whole equation. Are they holistic in looking at all areas of retirement and financial planning, not just money managers? So in other words, do they provide a retirement and an income plan and set up estate plans with their clients, protecting their estate from nursing home issues? Do they look at legacy planning for children and for grandchildren and for charity? So looking at the big picture, not just managing money. But what's interesting is that I've actually had clients tell me that they've spoken to other advisors in the past. And they've been asked, the client has been asked, believe it or not, <laughs> do they want commission-based sales or do they want fee-based? Now, really doesn't make too much sense that it should be up to the client, but I've heard that too. You typically, you're going to want to work with a fiduciary. Well, you know, Barb, let me add to that too, that, you know, asking a client whether they want commissions or they want fees is kind of like riding the fence. The real question is, where does the advisor stand philosophically? and Where is he going to, uh, what is he going to recommend? Quite often what we find is we find registered reps who are not fiduciaries also have a fiduciary hat in the same firm. They can either serve as a fiduciary under the fiduciary standard, or they can serve under the suitability standard. And so you really don't know where one leaves off and the other one takes up. And it's very confusing. And a lot of people think that that particular registered rep really works in the client's interest at all times. 
Now, I came from that industry, and I'm here to tell you, the first 20 years I was in the business, the financial rep really has to represent the company and has to do what's in the interest of the company 100% of the time. Now, that doesn't mean they're not serving the needs of the client, but I would rather deal with somebody as an advisor who has my interest in needs or my interest at heart at all times. Agreed. All right, let's take one more term here on the podcast and let's talk about the idea of being risk averse. If you are risk averse, what does that mean? Well, Mark, what it doesn't mean is risk allergy or, or allergic <laughs> to risk. <laughs> you know, let me read the term here for you. You know, in, in economics and investing, it is the behavior of humans who, when exposed to uncertainty, attempt to lower the uncertainty. Well, Probably the best way to describe this is to give you a couple different examples. In example number one, Joe puts his money in the bank. Why does he put the money in the bank? Because he doesn't want to expose his principal to any type of risk whatsoever. So that's probably one example of a risk-averse person. Doesn't want to put his money in the market. Maybe he had it there during the down cycles in the market, lost money, got out, got scared, panicked, sold, and now he wants to preserve all of his principal. But then we have example number two, who is Harry. And Harry is looking at two investments, and they both have the potential of 5% return. However, investment A that he's looking at has a greater volatility. In other words, it fluctuates more greatly than investment B. Okay, Harry is being risk averse by selecting B because it has less risk, has the same outcome as A, has less risk, less volatility, and therefore he is being risk averse as well. But we have to understand one other thing is that there is no such thing as a zero absolute riskless investment out there. We just have to define the risk carefully and see how we can control it for anybody who is risk averse. All right. Well, we've talked about a lot of terms. We've cleared up some of the confusion. And maybe now as you're listening, you're thinking about trying to get financially organized and putting some of this new knowledge to good use. What does it look like, Barbara and Phil, as folks come in for a visit with your team? Well, they should do just that. Come in and visit because the first appointment with them is simply complimentary. And we spend 45 minutes to an hour and just getting to know them. Uh, does it make sense to work together? What are their considerations? What are their problems? When do they want to retire? All the questions that we need to know. But mainly it's just getting to know people the first appointment and then we go from there. I would add to that too. You know, there has to be a good chemistry there. And I think one of the things that we want to do is we want people to feel comfortable with us. You know, it's not so much that we're feeling comfortable with yeah. them. We want to accommodate them, of course, but we really want them to feel that our particular approach is the one that they feel the most comfortable with. And if you'd like to come in for that visit, just sit down, have a conversation. It's a complimentary visit. All you have to do is pick up the phone, dial 815-399-9806. That's 815-399-9806. Or you can go online and get more information that way at pathfinderwealth.com. Barbara and Phil, as always, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Good Mark. to be here. Have we'll, a great day. We'll do it again next time on another edition of the Retirement Pathfinder. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.